The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Bowl & Branch. Getting a great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. Go to bowlandbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. Promo code BIGIDEA. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, April 3rd. In today's news, the EPA administrator may not survive the newest scandals. A Democratic congresswoman is retiring after covering for a top aide who threatened to kill a subordinate. And Bob Mueller has Roger Stone's emails. But first, the big idea. Martin Luther King Jr.'s final speech, delivered 50 years ago tonight in Memphis on the eve of his assassination, is well remembered for its prophetic musings on mortality. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. The Reverend's declaration followed more than 40 minutes of reflection on the cause that brought him to Memphis and martyrdom. The meat of the full speech is worth revisiting on this dreadful half-century anniversary. His message on a stormy night at Mason Temple is both timeless and timely. Slain at just 39, King was America's Moses. He came to Memphis because two black sanitation workers were crushed by a garbage truck's compactor. The city, controlled by racists, refused to compensate their families. This prompted as many as 1,300 city workers to walk off the job. These men worked long hours for low wages with no overtime pay and no paid sick leave. In fact, injuries on the job could lead to their getting fired. If they didn't work, they didn't get paid. Most of them made under 65 cents per hour. The workers carried signs that said, in all caps, I am a man, as they sought recognition for a union and to get better wages. King positioned what was happening in Memphis as a flashpoint in the global struggle for human dignity. He described economic inequality as a civil rights issue. In his final years, King's focus had shifted more toward economic issues. In fact, he was planning a poor people's march on Washington when he came down to Tennessee. It's all right to talk about streets flowing with milk and honey. But God has commanded us to be concerned about the slums down here and his children who can't eat three square meals a day. King said America was not living up to its ideals and wouldn't until people rose up with nonviolent protests and boycotts. He said African-Americans had to stick together. Be concerned about your brother. You may not be on strap, but either we go up together or we go down together. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. In one of the most moving passages of the speech, 
king recounted the parable of the Good Samaritan. He and his wife had just visited Israel. They rented a car and drove the road to Jericho that Jesus had talked about in Luke. In the story, a priest passes by as an injured Jewish man suffers. Then a Samaritan comes by and stops to help. Samaritans and Jews generally despised each other, which made it all the more notable. King connected the old parable to what was happening in Memphis. The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is, if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. A lot of days, it feels like we're still on the road to Jericho. King told the crowd 50 years ago to not get discouraged by setbacks. The arc of the moral universe is long, and it may bend toward justice, but human progress has never been linear. It zigs and zags. Whenever men and women straighten their backs up, they are going somewhere, King said that night. Quote, because a man can't ride your back unless it is bent. If God let him choose any era to live in, King declared that he would have picked that moment, the second half of the 20th century. He acknowledged in the face of nasty overt racism, bad working conditions, etc., that seemed like a strange statement. Then he explained why. The nation is sick. Trouble is in the land. Confusion all around. That's a strange statement. But I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt is under fire amidst new revelations about his spending practices. The New York Times reports that Pruitt signed off on a Canadian energy company's pipeline project last March while he was renting the condo linked to that company's lobbyist. The condo also served as a hub for GOP fundraising while Pruitt lived there. Both the EPA and the lobbying firm dispute that there was anything untoward about the arrangement. Pruitt faces mounting ethics questions about the many first-class domestic and international flights that he's taken. Newly obtained emails by The Post show the EPA actually considered leasing a private jet for Pruitt last year to accommodate his travel, though the idea was nixed because of bad optics. There are conflicting reports from different media organizations about how much danger Pruitt is in right now. President Trump is said to be upset about the damaging revelations, but happy that he succeeded at rolling back so many of Barack Obama's regulations. Just yesterday, for example, Pruitt unveiled a rollback of auto emissions standards. Number two, Representative Elizabeth Esty, a Democrat from Connecticut, has announced she will not seek re-election following reports that she failed to address an incident of workplace harassment in her own office. Esty took months to remove her chief of staff after he repeatedly harassed and once even allegedly punched a subordinate. He also threatened to kill an ex-girlfriend who worked in the office on voicemail. Esty is the ninth member of Congress and the first female lawmaker to see her career felled by allegations related to workplace harassment in this Congress alone. 
Her withdrawal is the latest in a string of setbacks for Democrats as they try to retake the House. Number three, special counsel Bob Mueller's team is investigating longtime Trump consigliere Roger Stone's claim that he met with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange in August of 2016. Mueller is specifically looking into an email that Stone sent former Trump advisor Sam Nunberg, in which he claimed to have had dinner with Assange. One day after that supposed dinner, Stone tweeted of Hillary Clinton, quote, Hillary lies about Russia involvement in DNC hack. Julian Assange is a hero. Three days later, Stone told a Republican group that he had communicated with Assange and that he believed more damaging documents about Clinton would soon come out. The Wall Street Journal reports, meanwhile, that Mueller's also looking into a consulting firm that has done work for the United Arab Emirates and is asking about the founder's relationship with UAE advisor George Nader. Nader was close to Trump administration officials last year and helped set up that meeting in the Seychelles Islands to create a back channel between Trump and Vladimir Putin associates. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, April 3rd. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.